Well, last week, when uh, our brother was speaking, he talked about what happened to Jesus after he came, after he fasted in the wilderness, how he was put to test. And I thought about that a lot this week. How does, how do we get put to test? And I think one of the things that uh, is, is quite interesting about life, especially being human, is how we are uh, put into situations where, without even realizing it, we're put to test. And I was thinking about how this applies to uh, human beings. And so came to my mind in terms of uh, how to describe this or talk about this would be in the book of Job. First and second chapter of Job, we see an interesting scenario. In the beginning of the chapter, it talks about how, who Job was and what all Job had and how fortunate he was. I think that's interesting when we look at the, the writer of Job talks about how, what he had. You know, he had an estimated of 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he's a, he was great in terms of what he had in terms of wealth, but he also had, as we'll see here, um, and let's look at verse 4. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes that they would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought... Perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular process. Well, if this book was the first book written in the Bible, Job was acting as a priest, as we see later that the Levites did. He offered a sin offering for his children, the same way that the priests, the Levites, did for the children of Israel uh, when they came to do their sacrifice and, and uh, pray for the release of sins. and Same thing that Job does here. But what happens to Job? Job being great and he has these children and he has all this wealth and people are looking up to him. And then it says in verse 6, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now this is interesting because the contrast that we heard last week about the devil coming to Jesus, Satan comes in the presence of the Lord. And God says, he asked Satan, where have you come from? Satan answers from roaming through the earth. Satan answered him and walking around on it. 
Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. So God is pointing out to Satan, Job. He's asking him to look at what a strong faith Job has, that he has gotten all these things, but he has a very strong faith. Verse 9, Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? Have you blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land? But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Who's the devil tempting? God. He's looking at God and he's saying, yeah, but if you did this, if we turn that in, if we turn that scenario around, have you ever felt yourself in a place where you had a choice to make, a moralistic choice, a faith choice? And what is presented to you at the time is exactly what Satan is doing. He's giving you an opportunity to make a choice as to whether to believe or not, or to take on yourself a sin or not. What happens, though? Very well, the Lord told Satan, verse 12, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So we're going to spare Job because God knows that Job in his heart at this point loves him and honors him. So then it goes on. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So then it goes on and explains all what happens. In one day, all these things happen to, to Job. All these messengers come and say his sheep and his servants and everything is completely gone. All of his earthly possessions are gone. Then Job, verse, look, let's look at verse 20. Then Job stood up and tore off his robe and shaved his head and he fell on the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives that the Lord takes away. What does he say there after that? Praise God. Praise God. Now in the midst of his adversity, Job could have said exactly what the devil wanted Job to say. Curse God to his face. But he didn't. <clears throat> Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. I don't believe there's one of us that could stand up and say that this is in our temptations have ever said, well, what's wrong, God? Why are you deserting me? Why are you doing this to me? Being angry with God. 
One day the sons of God, this is chapter 2, one day the sons of God came again to present, present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Now if you could draw a mental picture for a moment, God's on the porch, and all these people are serving him. His angels are around him, and all of a sudden Satan comes. But why does Satan have the power to be walking around on the earth? Because he was thrown out of heaven. And you can read, I've got some scripture references as to how the devil gets to earth. But let's look at this for a minute first. Then, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God, and in that respect means to honor or to hold in awe God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you have enticed me against him. Destroy him without just cause. So does God allow temptation to come to us? And does he allow things to happen to us? Why? For a test? And Satan says, skin for skin. What does that mean? Skin for skin. It's easy for you to say. But if you, what? A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. So, what does he say here again? His life, his physical life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to his face. Verse 6, very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power, but only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and inflicted Job with terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. So up to the point where Job is afflicted in body, God allows Satan to do this. Now if we looked at this in a human way, we could say that, well, why would God even allow this? Because he knew that Job had faith. In the same way that we can hear Jesus tell Satan when he's tempting him after out of the wilderness, as our brother said last week, he said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So what kind of temptation is Satan trying to do? What is his job? 
Well, if we look the way that history is written and, and says, if we do the research and study, Satan, Lucifer was his name in heaven. He became so wise and so conceited and so in himself thinking because God had made him beautiful and God had given him responsibility for the music of heaven. So if I'm that responsible, I should be as powerful and maybe as all-knowing. If we went to the first chapter or the third chapter of Genesis where we see Satan coming into the garden as a serpent, he tells Eve, well, did God really say that you shouldn't eat that? What he doesn't want you to do is become as smart as he is. So if you eat that, you will be, because he calls that the tree of knowledge, you will be smarter than, as he, or even smarter. Who doesn't want to be like God? So if we look at what it says here, uh, we could look at Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 14. Verse 12, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. This is the Old Testament references. Verse 12 says, How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the cloud, and I will be the most high. Capitalized, high, meaning I will be God. I will be like God. Thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Some translation calls it the abyss. The abyss is translated as the home of Satan and his angels. There's one explanation of Satan being thrown out of heaven from Isaiah. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 again. Starts, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now they're talking about Ezekiel is talking about the king of the north. The king of the north was at that time full of the devil, trying to destroy Israel. So Ezekiel is talking about him as if he is the devil. But let's go to verse 13. 
Thou sealest, the last part of that verse 12 says, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28, chapter, uh, chapter 28, verse 13 says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, and the emerald, and the uh, carb carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and thy pipes, was prepared in the, in the day that thou wast created. This is from the uh, King James Version. He's talking about the, the tambourines and the pipes, the music. Thou art anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so vast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down on the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. He's talking about Lucifer. By the multitude of thy merchandise thou hast filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was filled up with thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. Here's the ground. That's, that is talked about in Job. I will cast thee to the ground. So when Satan comes in the midst of the sons and God asks him, well, where have you been? He says, I've, I've been walking around on the ground, checking it out. I will lay thee before kings, and they may behold thee. So they may take up with you, Satan, but they're on the ground. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. Now, Ezekiel is prophesying about hell. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. So in the last days, whoever is on this earth then will see Satan thrown into the pit. Okay, so let's look at uh, John chapter 12, verse 30. And this is after Jesus was anointed. John chapter 12, verse 30. Okay? Jesus answered them and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake, to make you understand that I am the Son of God, is what he's saying. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out, the devil. 
And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all my peoples to myself. So this is a distinction between how we get from the power of the devil in terms of changing our life around to who Jesus is and taking Jesus on for the forgiveness of our sins and taking on the Holy Spirit, we then start to be separated from those people who don't. Remember, we choose. It's a choice. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Who is he talking about here? He's talking about the everlasting possibility of us as believers having something to live for with this person inside of us, mainly the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit living with us, in us, is able to help us. That's what he's saying. I will send you the helper. The Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to give you comfort when the devil comes and says, Hey, I think, or I want, or don't you, or don't, isn't this. He's the one. The Holy Spirit is going to help you. That's why we need Jesus. Now he's talking in verse 8, he's, or John 16, 7. John 16, 7. That's where he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. For if I de but if I depart... I will send him to you. John 16, 8 says, Then and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now he describes the three of those, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more, of judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. Satan is judged. And then he says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. If we were to hear all about what Jesus could do and the possibility of what he is, our mind would probably, like they would say back in the day, it'd blow your mind. You wouldn't be able to take it all in. Then in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, You made him a little smaller than the angels. You placed on him a crown of glory and honor. This is Jesus. You have put everything under his control. So God has put everything under him. Everything is under his control. We do not see everything under his control. But we do see Jesus already given a crown of glory and honor. He was made a little lower than the angels. He suffered death by the grace of God. He tasted death for everyone. This is how we conquer Satan. That is why he was given the crown. God has made everything. He acted in exactly the right way. 
He is bringing his many sons and daughters to share his, in his glory. To do so, he has made the one who saved them perfect because of his sufferings. The one who makes people holy, he makes holy because we want to belong to the same family. So Jesus won't be ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, this is when the end comes and we stand before the throne in judgment and Jesus is going to be before us as our advocate, which is the same thing as a lawyer. He's going to argue our case before God. And he's going to tell God, these, these, you, you people. He's going to say, these are the ones you gave me, God. These are the ones that kept the faith. These are the ones that put away sin. And if sin beset them, they put that away too. Why? Because I did the work for them that are there, standing in front of the throne of God. I did that work so that they can come into your kingdom. Let's look at 1 John 3. This is how the work of God of Jesus works for us. 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 6. He's talking about who we are. John is. No one who remains joined to him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has seen him or known him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you down the wrong path lead you astray, lead you down some other road. Satan telling you, well, maybe, perhaps you should go this way. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you down the wrong path. Those who do what is right are holy, just as Christ is holy. So when we think about it, when he has given us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven, we are as holy as Jesus. Can you imagine that? But verse 8 says, those who do what is sinful belong to the devil. They are just like him. He has been sinning from the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy the devil's work. Those who are born again because of what God has done will not keep on sinning. God's very nature remains in them. They can't go on sinning. Now, sometimes this has been taken out of context. Some people have said that because we have our sins forgiven and because we are, in, in terms of this verse here, they can't go on sinning. Not true. It's that we don't want to go on sinning. Because when we sin, we realize what we've done, and we realize what that sin is going to do if we don't take care of it. They have been born again of what God has done. That's how we're born again. That's how we don't keep on sinning. Here's how you can tell the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. Those who don't do what is right do not belong to God. 
Those who don't love their brothers and sisters do not belong to him either. So it's clear cut, folks. The enemy of our soul is not going to stand by idle. He's going to try to, as the old brothers and sisters in faith used to say, break the love. He's going to try to destroy who we are and what we love. Jesus. Let's look at Revelation chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw the star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the tunnel leading down to the abyss. The devil, the star of heaven, was thrown out of heaven. He was given a key to where? The abyss. The home of the devil and all those who belong to him. When the star opened the abyss, smoke rose up from it like the smoke from a huge furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, another word for the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon wasn't strong enough. He and his angels lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down to earth. His angels with him. The dragon is that old serpent called the devil. Go back to Genesis. Who tempts Eve? The serpent. The dragon is that old serpent called the devil or Satan. He leads the whole world down the wrong path. Why does Jesus then say, you are in the world but not of the world for this exact reason? So that the devil cannot lead you astray. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven. It said, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God have come. The authority of his Christ has come. Satan, who brings charges against our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down. He brings charges against them before God night and day. What happens to Job? But if you do this to him, or if you could do that to him, he's going to curse you to your face. See, the devil is not, not above or below making it difficult for someone to remain in faith. That's the problem we face, brothers and sisters. That's our problem. There are so many things that would come before us that would make us want to falter. We have to look for that inner helper, the Holy Spirit, to keep lifting us up. We can get that even through prayer. It doesn't matter if you, how you pray. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. That's a prayer. Whatever. Talk to him. Tell him. Ask the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Ask him to help you through those temptations. Verse 11 says, They overcame him because the Lamb gave his life's blood for, for them. They overcame him by giving witness to Jesus to others. That's our job. 
They were willing to risk their lives, even if it led to death. And we can look back in history and we can see that to be true. All of the disciples, except for this John who writes Revelation, were martyred somehow. Even the prophet Isaiah was martyred. He was cut in two by the sword for preaching God's word. So be joyful, you heavens. Be glad, all you who live there. But how terrible it will be for the earth and the sea. The devil comes down to you. He is very angry. He knows his time is short. So let's, if we look at Revelation verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 5, it says, This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead will, did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. Blessed and holy are those uh, who take part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ. They will rule with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be set free from his prison. He will go out to fool nations. He will gather from them the four corners of the earth. He will bring Gog and Magog together for battle. Their troops are as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. They march across the whole earth. They surrounded the place where God's people are camped. This is talking about the end times for Israel. But who's doing it? Satan is inspiring all this. Why? Because he cannot stand the fact that he can't be as powerful or more powerful than God. So he, in a way, is like a spoiled child. Ah! I'll get even with you. They marched across the old, whole earth. They surrounded the place where God's people were camped, in the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and burned them up. That's what Isaiah is talking about when he's talking about the fire of stones of fire. The devil who fooled them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. That is where the beast and, his, and the false prophet have been thrown. They will suffer day and night forever and ever. I saw a great white throne and the one who's sitting on it. When the earth and the sky saw his face, they ran away. There was no place for them. But I saw the dead, great and small, standing in front of the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, and it was a book of life. The dead were judged by what they had done. The things they had done were written in the books. The sea gave up its dead and all that were in it. Death and hell gave up their dead. Each of the dead was judged by what he had done. The death and hell thrown down into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Eternity. Anyone, this is the most important thing, anyone whose name is not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We do not want to be there. We do not even want to be close to be on the edge there. It's very simple not to be. 
All you have to do is believe that your sins are forgiven. In the, in the justification work that Jesus did, in the resurrection that he did, and his blood that washes away everything from evil to the holiness of God. So brothers and sisters, today, like it says, like he has said before, to the people that he preached on earth to, don't harden your hearts when you hear my voice. Take me in. Let me be with you. Let me give to you my comforter. Rest in that today. Rest in that for the rest of your life. Take on the Holy Spirit and let him live with you. And when the evilness of the devil comes to tempt you and to try you and to torment you, pray to him. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to be with you. Ask him to guide you. And most especially believe that your sins are forgiven. Today and always. By the work that Jesus has done in his blood. And the resurrection power of his, of his rising from the dead to offer us the Holy Spirit to live in us forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.